indeed, like I said, today we get to have a little taste of Christmas in September here. At least we get to hear again the wonderful story of the birth of Jesus. So grab some eggnog, sit back, light a candle if you need to. We're going to see it was anything but a silent night, but it was a holy night for sure. It says in verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. So here before us, the birth of Jesus Christ, the account of the birth of Jesus. And remember in Matthew's genealogy that we looked at last week, verses 1 to 17, the genealogy of Jesus. Matthew was very specific in going through to show Jesus's uh, legal line to the throne of David through Joseph, his stepdad, whereas Luke's account goes through the lineal line of Mary to show that the, the blood connection, in a sense, uh, to the throne of David. Uh, Matthew goes through the royal and legal line. Luke goes through the lineal and, and the blood uh, line of Jesus to the throne. So there's two different kind of accounts for a purpose because Matthew is writing to really again reveal that Jesus is the rightful heir to the throne of David. He is the long awaited for promise of the Messiah. And so the birth account in Matthew really focuses in on Joseph because that's kind of the line that Matthew's pinpointing. Luke's account uh, of the birth of Jesus really goes through uh, in, in detail sort of more so with Mary, okay? Because of the, again, the connection and the genealogies there. So here we have this account of the birth of Jesus. Now it's mentioned in chapter one, verse 16, and, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. And how in verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. I bring that up just to say, oh, we're gonna be looking at the name of Jesus here today, but for some, they kind of get a little bit confused and think, you know, Jesus Christ, first and last name, that Christ is his last name. It's not Jesus, it's Mr. Christ to you, right? Just to clear that up, that's not his last name, all right? We're comfortable and used to having two names and, and everything, but Christ is more so his title. It's not a, a name that's given to him. It was something that has been looking forward to because Christ in the Greek is the word Christos, which means anointed. And the Hebrew word uh, for that is Mashiach or Messiah. So when we identify Jesus Christ, we're identifying that he is the Messiah, the promised one that has been prophesied of that all of Israel, the Jews have been waiting for. And so Matthew is very clear to say, he is here now, all right? We have the arrival of the king right before us. And so Christ is more so his title, that he's the anointed one, the promised one, the Messiah, who's gonna come and save the people from their sins as we'll see here. Now, this pregnancy that we see, because we find out here that, uh, you know, Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Uh, she was with child, okay? So we see right here a couple of things. She was found with child, so we get that. But they're betrothed now together. And this kind of comes as, at a very sort of awkward time, uh, this announcement of her being pregnant. They're betrothed, that's a good thing, but this is kind of like our engagement today. It was much more binding though, however. And it goes back to a time when, you know, arranged marriages were sort of a very 
common thing. That's what families did. In fact, some marriages were arranged before the people were even born because two families might kind of link up and go, I really like you. I, I think you guys would be a good fit with us. Your bank account really speaks for itself too. So I think we love to get our kids together and get them married. And so the arrangements were, were made sometimes before the kids were even born, at least, you know, most of the time when they were quite young still. And so the father would work out the price for the bride, pay the dowry so that if anything happened to the, the husband-to-be, the, the bride, the wife would be established. So the dowry was paid. That was all worked out in the engagement process, sometimes again before kids were even born. But then when they got older, they would enter into their betrothal. They would get betrothed together. And when I say when they got older, I'm talking like uh, at this time, uh, the bride was typically around 13 or 14 years of age. They got married quite young then. And so Mary, when we read about her being found with child, we're talking about a young teenager here, most likely. Think about getting that news hit at you when you're just a young girl. Now, of course, that was pretty common in this day, but they came together in this betrothal, which became a much more legal and, and binding agreement. They would meet together. They would exchange the vows. They'd have friends and family there. They would exchange all the vows, and they would then at that time be like legally married, but yet they would not consummate the marriage. That would come upwards of a year later. Because after the betrothal, the husband would go back to his father's home and he would prepare a place for him and his bride to live. So he'd be busy at work at his father's house, preparing a place for his bride. Does that sound familiar language? Yes, it should, because it's in John chapter 14 when Jesus says, I go and prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. And it speaks of, through that, uh, that wedding, a Jewish wedding, the incredible symbolism of what Jesus has done. He's, he's purchased us. He's, he's made us his bride. He's going to prepare a place for us. And he's going to come again, unannounced, unexpectedly, the imminent return of Jesus and raptures up to take us back home to his father's house in heaven. What a glorious day that's going to be. So here's the wedding process taking place here. They're betrothed. They're legally kind of uh, married, but they haven't consummated the marriage. And it's at this point that Mary finds out that she is with child. And so that would be a very difficult thing to have to deal with. Uh, news breaks. And, and unlike engagements today where you might be preparing to get married, but then through your engagement, you're kind of like, nah, you know, I don't think this is working out. You can break up without any kind of legal ramifications for that. Not that I'm encouraging that by any means, but uh, a betrothal in this day could only be broken apart through divorce because they were legally seen as married even though they haven't come together yet in, in consummation. So uh, if the husband had died during that process, the, the bride would be left as a widow now, essentially. So I say all that to say, when news comes to Joseph that Mary is pregnant, right away, his assumptions are, well, she's been unfaithful. You cheated on me. That's, that's the only reasonable explanation if you're pregnant. Now, here's what we do see, that Joseph was a, a just man. Now, elsewhere in Scripture, that word for just in the Greek is oftentimes translated as righteous. So we know that Joseph is a righteous man. In other words, he's righteous by the law. He wants to live according to the law of Moses. He's an upright just person that wants to do what's right. Now, that's a bit of a, an issue because according to the law, the penalty for a woman who is 
unfaithful and not found to be a virgin, the penalty was death. Death by stoning, Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 23 to 24 if you're taking notes. So Joseph being a just man, he sees a dilemma here. He's like, well, if I'm gonna live according to the law, if I'm gonna uphold these things, well, this needs to be brought into account. But being a just man, he wants to do the, the kind thing, the honorable thing in kind of like protecting Mary. So that's why he's minded to put her away secretly. Now you might look at that and go, oh, Joseph, how could you? What a cold-hearted man you are in, in seeking to do this. But Joseph's trying to do a protective thing for Mary, knowing that, you know, according to the law, they, they can't be together. She's broken that. Uh, and you know, divorce is imminent, but if I bring that to a legal court now, to the judges, well, they're gonna see her guilt and they're gonna bring her out to be stoned. And so Joseph's looking to protect this. Now, can you just imagine that conversation that Mary had to have with Joseph to begin with, to let him know about this? Think about how that is unfolding. Mary coming, Joseph, I got some news for you. You might wanna sit down. I'm pregnant. Now, typically that's like, I'm pregnant, whoa, but for Mary and Joseph, it's like, I'm pregnant. But Mary's got to explain, listen, Joseph, it's not what you think. Don't, don't jump to conclusions here. It's not what you think. I, I'm still a virgin. This is the Holy Spirit's baby. And Joseph's like, what? Come again. I mean, who's going to buy that story, right? That just seems absurd. And, and to the Jew, there hasn't been at this point the the kind of concept of the fullness of the Trinity with the Holy Spirit. So here's Holy Spirit. He's like thinking, I mean, that would be like the equivalent of saying, you know, uh, I've been impregnated by, by an alien today. Like it would be just a, a, a crazy thinking. And, and for Joseph, he's sitting here scratching his head. And all he can, I'm sure, assume is that you cheated on me. And it reminds me of the story of a husband and wife who had two beautiful daughters. Wife was found pregnant again. And and this time they're expecting a son and the husband was super excited. Well, the time came, the uh, wife was in the hospital delivering their son and the husband goes to see his newborn son and he looks at this child and he's like, this is like the most ugliest baby I've ever seen. And his only conclusion is like, this can't be my baby. Look at the two beautiful daughters we've got. You, this cannot be my baby. You, have you cheated on me? And the wife said, not this time. Uh, <laughs> That's not, you know. So just think about that. The feeling that Joseph has got right now dealing with all of this news here and which, I mean, he's probably heartbroken. He's probably thinking, you've been unfaithful to me. I know it's not my child. You've been unfaithful. How can this be? And then just think about the, the difficulty now both of them are, are having to, to walk through. Because just, you know, everybody's looking at the situation as though it's a scandalous situation. At least it appears that way, right? And Mary would have been one that's having to be out in public with perhaps as people begin to see the, the growth of the baby bump, people looking at her in, in scorn. You're, you haven't officialized your marriage yet. You haven't had your wedding ceremony, your, your wedding night. Like, you're in the betrothal stage, this shouldn't be happening. The, the scorns, the, the sneers, the, the looks of, of disgrace by people. People, I'm sure, thinking, Mary, you're just a tramp here. That, that's what Mary's having to walk through and, and, and have to deal with in the 
eye of public opinion. People especially under their breath saying, still a virgin? Yeah, right, nice try. I got a bridge I'd like to sell you too with that kind of logic. Though Mary was highly favored, she's had to go through some difficulty and hardship because this is no easy calling living in the shadow of this kind of public shame and disgrace. But think about this. Though this may have been the experience externally, God was bringing about something so incredible and wonderful. Mary was gonna have the privilege of birthing and raising the very Son of God. Think about that. See, sometimes the Lord allows us to go through persecution, pain, and difficulty because he's birthing something far greater out of it and through it. And he's allowing us to go through a season, perhaps of hardship, because he knows this is going to produce something so wonderful that you're going to look back on and go, you know what, that process, as hard as it was, was far worth it for what you've done out of it, Lord. And here's Mary, a testament of that, because she's going to give birth to the Son of God, and see this child raised up in her home. Nine months of people laughing, sneering, judging would far be worth it for what she would get to experience through it. It's the same in our lives. There may be times we need to allow the, the accusations to fly and, and let people think what they want. Let the Lord be our defense to see his good work prevail in and through our lives, to allow him to produce what he has planned in and through our lives, which sometimes comes about through the hardships and the difficulties. Now, Mary could have easily thought this is all just gonna be too hard. I just, I can't deal with that. I don't, I don't want to accept that. And maybe she's thinking, how is Joseph ever gonna believe this? How am I gonna get through to him? I'm gonna be cast aside, perhaps die as an old spinster woman. But when she's confronted with this news, it says in Luke 1, verse 34, she wondered, how can this be since I do not know a man? She's, she's hearing this and she's going, I don't get it. This doesn't make sense to me. And that news would have been very troubling to her, but she received that word of the Lord and believed that nothing is too hard for the Lord to handle because we read in Luke 1, verse 37 to 38, for with God, nothing will be impossible. She told, listen, you don't have to worry about how it's all gonna play out, how it's all gonna work, because with God, nothing will be impossible. So what does Mary do? She says, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And, uh, Mary came to a point where she says, Lord, basically, you have your way with me. Because I recognize, as is said to me, nothing is impossible for the Lord to work out and to bring about and to produce something far greater out of the process. And see, with that kind of response, I, I just get the idea that Mary was a willing vessel, willing to go down this path and, and to take whatever God was gonna do and that it would be just completely fine with her. See, when you recognize that with God, nothing will be impossible, then you don't have to fear or fret the what is. We allow those things to get in our way a lot, don't we? Where we start thinking, well, what about this? How's this gonna work? How's that gonna play out? Lord, what if this happens to me? And we get so concerned about all these things rather than walking by faith and saying, you know what? With God, nothing is impossible. See, when you realize that we serve the God of the impossible, then what do we possibly have to worry about? Does your situation need more help than the parting of the Red Sea? 
Does your trial require a greater miracle than bringing down the walls of Jericho? If God can raise the dead, then surely he can help you in your various need. Do you believe that today? We serve the God of the impossible. That's the kind of faith here that Joseph and Mary moved forward in, and they got to be a part of one of the most wonderful, glorious works of God in seeing this child come into the world. Now, like I said, Mary may have been wondering how Joseph is going to respond. How is he possibly going to accept this? But notice something here. The Lord is working in Joseph's heart. Mary doesn't have to worry about that. Mary doesn't have to come up with some kind of scheme or plan to try to convince Joseph. God's already at work in his heart. Notice what we read in, in verse 20. It says, but while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Now let me stop right there. Now this is good because we saw earlier that Joseph was mindful, all right, to put her away secretly. So he's kind of thinking about what should be done here. How do we deal with this? But now, as Joseph is just kind of thinking these things through while he thought about these things, that's always a good thing to do, isn't it? To just stop and just process these things and to give time for the Lord to work, to speak, and to lead you. Because too often when we come upon, come upon a, a predicament, a, a situation, we go right into problem-solving mode. We're like, I gotta fix this. I gotta deal with this. I can't, I can't live with this the way it is right now. I gotta change things. I gotta make things happen. And we get right into kind of trying to problem-solve and deal with it rather than saying, you know what? Let me stop and just give this to the Lord. Let me just allow him to speak into my life and, and allow him to lead his way. Because too often when we get into problem-solving mode, all we end up doing is just digging that hole a little bit deeper and going far away from what God was trying to do all along. Instead of just giving way to the Lord lead. And so as Joseph is thinking about these things, good thing to do, just stop and just wait on the Lord, give it to the Lord. It's at this time that the Lord begins to speak to him. Mary doesn't have to try to scheme or plan or figure out how to convince Joseph. The Lord's already taken care of that for Mary as she just walks by faith, receives what God has for her and allows the Lord to lead. I love that. So let me continue on here in, in verse 20. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. So now we see it's an angel of the Lord that appears to Joseph. All through the Old Testament, we see many passages where the angel of the Lord shows up. And the angel of the Lord is none other than the pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. But here it's not the angel of the Lord, it's an angel of the Lord because Jesus is coming onto the scene in, in bodily form. He's here with us now. And so it's no longer the angel of the Lord, it's an angel of the Lord speaking into this situation. The appearance of the angel of the Lord now will cease because Jesus is now here, and I love that. So this angel confirms everything to Joseph that, that it is indeed a child that's conceived of the Holy Spirit. And this angel confirms that Joseph is again, he's the, the son of David, as you see here again, very important is what Matthew is trying to reveal and show that, that Jesus through adoption 
by Joseph's stepdad is gonna be a rightful heir to the royal throne of David. And Joseph thankfully doesn't have to go through long list of baby names. He doesn't have to get in any kind of arguments with his wife about like what name they're gonna choose, right? Like not going, Mary, there's no way we're naming him after your great uncle as much as you loved him. No way, we're not going with that you know, crazy name. There's no squabbles, the name's already picked out. And you shall call his name Jesus. I love that. The name's given to him. And it's through the name that we really begin to see again that, that mission of Jesus, that he's gonna save his people from their sins. Catch that there. His name comes with a mission. Here at the annunciation of Jesus' birth, as, as M. Green says in his commentary, we're brought face to face with the central theme of the gospel. God, who has been at work on his people since the times of Abraham, has come among them in person. And he's come for the specific purpose of rescuing them from the mess that they've gotten themselves into. Christianity is not good advice about morals. It's good news about God and what he has done for us in ultimately saving us. So this name Jesus has some great significance to it. It's the Greek form of the Hebrew word Yeshua or Joshua. That's all this is Jesus now. It was a common name. It was a common name in this day. But Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Yeshua or Joshua. And it simply means Jehovah is salvation. That's what it means. Jehovah is salvation. See, we recognize that that in Jesus, he's our hope. He's the one who saves us. We cannot do it ourselves. Now, the first time that we see that name Joshua in scripture is with Moses, right? And and Joshua is his assistant, the successor now uh, in leading the nation of Israel. Now, Moses is the guy that oftentimes gets, you know, really promoted, elevated in in Jewish thought. He's got to get all the prophets because he's the guy that the law was given to. And to the Jew, that's kind of everything, right? He's, it's the law of Moses. So look at Moses as kind of everything. But what we fail to see is that Moses could not bring them into the promised land. Now, there were many reasons for that. But in the picture here, Moses represents the law. And the picture for us is so important because the law can only bring you so far. There are many people that are living their lives based upon doing, trying to perform. If I live up to the law, then I'll be right with God. If I can do these things, then surely I'll be saved. I'll be accepted by, how could God turn me away when I'm living such a righteous life? Joseph was doing just that. He was a just man. He was just and righteous according to the law but yet the law was not able to bring him into the promised land. The promised land is not a a picture of heaven, eternity. There's still battles going on in the promised land. In fact, we're beginning a study this Wednesday in the book of Joshua, so we're gonna be talking about these things. But the promised land is really a picture of the abundant life in and through Jesus, the the spirit-filled life. That's what the promised land is a picture of. And Moses could only bring them so far, just as the law can only take us so far. But the law cannot lead us into the abundant life of Jesus. It takes Jesus to lead us in. It takes Jesus to save us. It takes Jesus to bring about that new birth in us and, and supply us with the gift of his spirit that makes us new to allow us to enjoy the abundant life. And so many people are living according to works and, and trying their best to be right with God and failing to see it's Jesus who saves. It's Jesus that delivers us 
from our sins. John 1.17 says that the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So it's Jesus that leads us into the, the fullness of life, a life of forgiveness, a life of, of grace and victory. That's why the, the virgin birth is such a big deal because it shows us that salvation cannot just be a product of man. This was given to us by God. It takes God to supernaturally do what man cannot naturally do for themselves. And Jesus' birth, which is uh, really a turning point in all of history, reveals the means of salvation. Now, another similar account happened in Scripture with the birth of Isaac. Abraham was promised that out of his seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. The problem was that God waited for Abraham and Sarah to get very old, well past that uh, age of childbearing years. And so they're getting older and thinking, well, God's promised us kids. We better help God out. And so Sarah suggests, Abraham, why don't you take Hagar, a maidservant, have a child with her. This can be now the promised child that God has, has given us. And so they go and have a child now with Hagar, turns out to be Ishmael, turns out to be a lot of headaches because it's a, a product of the flesh. See, when we try to do things our way and we try to live according to our own standard of righteousness, thinking that that's gonna save us, all it does is bring about headaches, pain, it's a burden. It's not of the Lord. God doesn't recognize Ishmael, it's a product of the flesh. God waits till Abraham gets to be 100 years old and Sarah, uh, Sarah's 90 years old before he delivers this promised child. In other words, this is another miraculous birth, right? Because even in, I mean, even in Bible days, you have to recognize a 90-year-old woman having a child, that's pretty huge. That's a pretty big miracle. You're not going up to many 90-year-olds today going, hey, have you ever thought about having more kids? You know, you should give it a try. It's never too late. Broaden that family. You're, you realize 90-year-olds, no, they're not entertaining this kind of thing. It's a it's done deal. It's over. But Sarah now, 90 years old, Abraham 100 years old, having a child, that means this is a product not of the flesh, but of the spirit. This is another miraculous birth. The very child that was going to start the lineage that was going to lead to Jesus, the promised Messiah, starting as a miracle and being completed as a miracle birth in Jesus. It's a work of the Lord. It's reminding us of Jesus' mission. That he's coming to save us and do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. So verse 22, let's continue on here. It says in verse 22, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, or sorry, to the prophet saying, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Now here's this key phrase again in Matthew's gospel. It's that phrase that it might be fulfilled, that it might be fulfilled. Matthew repeats this over and over to show clear that Jesus fulfills all that the Old Testament scriptures prophesied regarding the Messiah. Now there's over 300 prophecies of Jesus in the Bible. The majority of them have been fulfilled at the time of his annunciation or his ascension, I should say, the time of his ascension. Now, Professor Peter Stoner, who authored Science Speak, stated that the probability of just one person fulfilling eight of those prophecies 
the odds were one in 10 to the 17th power. That's one in 10 with 17 zeros after. That's a pretty large number. I can't even say what, no, what number that is. It's too big for me. But the odds of one person fulfilling just one, or sorry, eight of those strand prophecies by one person is one to the 10, one in 10 to the 17th power. That's, that's huge. And Jesus has fulfilled all of them. That's what Matthew is seeking to describe. That's why we see many times that it might be fulfilled or as is written. Matthew is showing us from the Old Testament what has been promised and prophesied and that it is now here in and through Jesus. Now, the scripture that's being prophesied or mentioned and as being fulfilled is from Isaiah 7:14, And it was a prophecy made during the reign of King Ahaz, one of Judah's worst kings. It was a very dark period in Israel's history, but it's at that time that one of the most wonderful prophecies would be given and it would all point to the hope of all nations, the promised one, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Emmanuel would be born, God with us. And it's at this time now that Jesus is born that it's another period of real darkness in Israel's history. It's known as uh, the silent years. 400 years have transpired where there's been no prophetic voice of God. God's not speaking to his prophets. So it's called these, these 400 silent years between the, the, the testaments. It's a difficult time in Israel's history. Rome has come into power and they're wielding their power heavy-handedly. They're making things difficult for the Jews. But it's at this time in the midst of difficulty and darkness that the light shines through, that Emmanuel has come. That people can experience now God being with them. Those are three incredibly beautiful words, aren't they? God with us. God is love is special as well, but Here's the thing, God can love us from a distance. God can choose to say, listen, I'm gonna show my love, I'm gonna bring forgiveness of sins, but I'm gonna stay as far away from you as I can because you guys are just messed up, man. I don't want much to do with it. You just always are causing problems. He could love us from a distance, but when we hear Emmanuel, God with us, it's that God chose to come among us and to be with us and reveal his love and his grace. He came to not just show us the way, but to be the way. The incarnation is so amazing because God was willing to come to us and make himself like us. Again, the virgin birth is of utmost importance because it's through the virgin birth that we can understand Jesus came in complete divinity. He wasn't tainted by sin as we are. He was fully God, sinless and perfect, yet he was born of a woman. He took on humanity. He never ceased being God, and yet he never ceased being human. Some people like to say that, you know, there were times where he kind of separated these two things. He was only divine or he's only human. No, he never ceased to be human. And he never ceased to be divine. It's a great marvel and mystery that he added humanity to his deity. Being fully God, he could go and walk on water, feed 5,000. He could calm the storms. He could raise the dead. But being fully human, he experienced hunger and pain and sorrow. He was tempted. He can sympathize with us now in our weakness. But being God, he can help us to be overcomers in all these things. He is God with us, our help and fortress. What a beautiful, wonderful reality and promise for us today that Emmanuel has come. His name is Jesus, and he's God with us. Verse 24, then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. 
and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph comes out of his sleep and moves in obedience and faith. He may not know how this is all going to play out, but he's heard from the Lord, and that's enough. And he takes Mary as his wife. He begins to move with obedience. He'll still have to live with people doubting his own purity. As people see a pregnant wife, they're going to most likely assume, Joseph, come on, takes two to tango. We know this is, this is you, you know, not being able to control yourself here. They're still going to judge him. He's still going to hear the accusations, but Joseph is like the unsung hero of the Christmas story. He takes Mary as his wife simply because it was the Lord's command. Again, they're going to experience the joy of being a part of what God is going to do and what God is going to accomplish in and through their lives, and it's going to be far worth whatever persecution they may have to endure. Walking obedience with what the Lord calls us to is always going to pay off greater than anything that we might experience otherwise. You might think, listen, I can't do that because I want to spare myself from where that's going to lead. God, you can't call me to do this, or you can't call me to go here. Lord, that's going to be too hard. But walking in obedience to the Lord is always going to be the rewarding, contented life. It's going to be far greater than choosing to go your own way. Now, we're told that Joseph did not know Mary until Jesus was born. That he did not know her, that's a Hebrew euphemism for sexual intimacy. In other words, Joseph had to go through a few cold showers in his day, but the day did come when Mary and he were no longer virgins, where they consummated their relationship. But I say all that to say this. There's a, there's a common teaching that mostly originates from the Roman Catholic Church that says that Mary continued on in perpetual virginity. But yet, a simple reading of God's word would show us otherwise. Because here we see in Matthew's gospel that Mary and Joseph did eventually know each other after Jesus was born, that they consummated the relationship. We know in Matthew's gospel, chapter 13, verse 55 to 56, that uh, <clears throat> it tells us that Jesus had four stepbrothers and stepsisters as well. And this all shoots down this false Roman Catholic doctrine. Now, you might ask, why Mary? How come... She's the one selected for this. Was she special? Was she of somebody that's very important? Did she earn this kind of a thing? Now, again, within the Roman Catholic Church, Mary's venerated to a, a position of, uh, by many as co-redemptress. They pray through Mary. They see Mary as, you know, uh, just more than just a human vessel here. But why was Mary chosen? We don't know much about her character, who she was. We just know that she was given great grace to carry the Son of God. It's not that she was deserving more than others. She was just shown grace. Just as Abraham was selected to be the father of the Hebrew people. Why? He was living in a land of idols. He wasn't doing anything worthy or deserving it's the grace of God. And it's a reminder for us. Nobody is saved because they're deserving, because they're worthy. We're all simply saved because of God's great grace that he extends out of his love and kindness to us. 
Now that's good on two accounts. Sometimes we think we can't be saved because we're not good enough. Oh, it's the grace of God. Every single one of us are saved simply because of God's free gift of salvation. But sometimes we think again, oh, we're saved because of who we are, that I'm really special. And that God just couldn't help but pick me for salvation because I was so wonderful. No, it's all by grace. Humble yourselves. It's all by his grace. None of us deserve it. Let's accept that. But let's receive the great grace of God as Mary was selected, as Abraham was selected for a special role and significance, not because of who they were, because they were special, but this is simply speaking of the great grace of God. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, and we're going to close with a song here this morning. But I want to ask you that are here and those that are listening online, have you relied solely on Jesus as your salvation? Have you opened your heart to him and seen that you can do nothing to better yourself before God? Nobody makes it to heaven because they're a good person. Nobody makes it to heaven because they're righteous in themselves. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us make it on our own. That's why Jesus needed to come. If we could make it to heaven by being a good enough person, then why did Jesus need to come and why did Jesus need to die on a cross? But yet he came and died to pay the penalty for your sin, which was death. He died on a cross and he rose again so that you could be forgiven and given that free gift of eternal life. Have you received that today? Have you put your trust solely in what Jesus has done for you and nothing else? He's done it all. But you need to receive him today as your Lord and Savior. You need to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of people love to, you know, say, I believe in Jesus. Yes, I know he's there. I know what he's done. But have you put on Jesus as that robe of righteousness? Because without him, we're incomplete and we fall short. Put your trust in Jesus today. And perhaps you're going through adversity and hardship at this present time. Sometimes, as we've seen in our story of Mary and Joseph today, the Lord will allow that in your life. He'll bring you through times of difficulty and trial, but because that's the process to produce something far greater out of it. Maybe he's birthing something in your life right now that, yes, there might be, might be pain involved, but it's going to produce something far greater out of it. Keep trusting him and living for him and see what he will do because he's God with us. He'll not forsake us and he will indeed see you through. Walk in obedience, walk in trust in him and what he will accomplish in and through your life. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for our time together and this time in your word and this glorious account of the arrival of the king. And you came into a world filled with darkness to shine forth the light, to shine forth, Lord, what we truly needed, and that was the forgiveness of sins. You came to save us of our sin. Jehovah is salvation is what your name means. And I pray that every single person here today have put their trust in you as the means for their salvation. If you're listening here today and, and you're wondering, am I truly saved? 
if I put my faith in Jesus. All you are called to do is simply acknowledge your sin and repent from it, to turn away, say, I wanna turn to Jesus. I wanna put on Jesus as the means of my salvation and righteousness. It's not found within me. It's provided for me through Jesus. Turn to him today. Receive him as your Lord and Savior. Open your heart to him today, and as you do, he will come in and make his home with you, and he will be your life. He will be your Savior. He's the one that forgives us all of sin. Receive him today. The Bible says that no one can enter in the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And you're born again by receiving Jesus as your Savior. And Lord, for those that are going through adversity and trial and wondering why, help them to see today that you're with them. And that through the trials and the pain, oftentimes those are the means to produce something greater for life to emerge. And Lord, you do that work in us and through us. And so I pray you would comfort those in that place and process right now. Help them to hold tightly to you and see that, Lord, the outcome what you're going to birth out of it is all going to be worth it. So strengthen us today in you, we pray in your name, Jesus.